You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 353, and I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I am a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. And today is going to be a fun episode because, yes, if you peeked at the title, we're going to be talking about poop and what your poop says about your gut health with registered dietitian Sarah Greenfield. She loves the topic of digestion so much that she did a TED Talk, got on stage, and talked all about poop and had a poop chart. It was funny and entertaining, and uh, I will link to it in the show notes. I just watched it. It was really good. She and I are also going to dive into the gut hormone connection and how the health of your gut impacts your hormones and can contribute to hormone imbalances. I know many of you have questions about that, and we got a ton of good questions, so we're just going to jump right into that. And I'm also really excited to dive into other topics, which include troubleshooting digestive issues, stool testing and what's the deal with that, should you or should you not be doing elimination diets, and causes of chronic gut inflammation. Before I bring on Sarah, I want to thank Juve for sponsoring this podcast and also sponsoring my health because I am a stressed out individual. <laughs> I'm just going to just going to be honest. And sure enough, biohacking and doing things like red light therapy on a daily basis has really transformed my health. Uh, Oddly enough, earlier this year, a new Gallup report found that people in the U.S. are among the most stressed in the world. In the world. How crazy is that? Our stress is coming from things like, you know, of course, our jobs, but also family situations and financial problems and trying to live up to expectations and social media and political stress and even just chronic mental and emotional issues. And so many of us are overexposed to stress and stimulation constantly, which can cause sleep issues and anxiety and subsequently can also cause immunity issues and chronic cortisol output, which impacts your hormones. And one of the sources of stress that a lot of people write off is overexposure to stimulating light, which comes from your phone and computer screens. Studies actually show chronic blue light exposure can disrupt your circadian rhythms, which can decrease the time that you sleep, so how much you're sleeping and your sleep quality. So light affects many aspects of our biology, and it really it wasn't until I started using my Juve Red Light Therapy device on a daily basis that I understood how much it was really impacting me. I was so skeptical about red light therapy, but after reviewing a lot of the clinical studies, and there's a lot of them, I was pretty taken back because what happens is red light therapy actually stimulates energy production in the body. It improves your mitochondrial function, and those are those little energy factories in your cells. So it quite literally like energizes your cells by supporting the energy factories in your cells. Fun fact too, declining mitochondria function is actually what causes aging, like visible signs of aging and internal aging. So studies actually show red light therapy reduces inflammation, it speeds up muscle recovery, it can aid in the healing of injury, and it can significantly improve sleep, your circadian rhythms, your mood, including anxiety and depression, and it can also help improve thyroid function. And in people struggling with hair loss, red light therapy can actually stimulate hair growth, which is incredible. So I have the Juve Mini. It is set up right beside my desk. I turn it on first thing in the morning when I'm working, and it really helps to reset me. You only have to do it twice a day, 10 minutes at a time to see the benefits. All right, so our link is com forward slash Wellfed juve.com forward slash wellfed. Use the code wellfed. You'll get an exclusive discount on Juve's newest devices. You can get the desktop setup like I have. You can get the handheld device. You can get a full body panel. And they actually it's have a modular design. So you can kind of build as you go, which I love. Juve J O O V V dot com forward slash wellfed. It's an investment in your health now, but decades from now, too, because what you're doing now is going to impact your health in the future. Juve.com slash well-fed. Now let's bring on Sarah. Sarah is a registered dietitian who helps high-achieving women achieve one-white poops. 
and reconnect with their bodies through functional labs. She worked as a dietitian working in hospitals and eventually transitioned into the wellness wor- world, creating programs for Nutribullet, Dr. Hyman, Whom Nutrition, and did a TED Talk all about poop. Fearless Fig was born out of her personal struggle with her own digestive issues and her insatiable desire to dig deeper into health. She believes that you deserve to feel your best and know your body better than anyone. Welcome, Sarah. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I uh, I just watched your TED Talk all about poop, and oh, yes. it was very entertaining, and I love the chart and all the things, and it's it's always really interesting to me to see how people fall into the topics that they're passionate about or the the ways in which they help people. So what the question on everybody's mind is what made you so passionate about poop? Why were you like, poop is my thing. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, it didn't happen immediately. It was something that I kind of looked back on my life on and it was like, oh my God, I've always had this like slight obsession or fixation on poop and not, not because of anything scientific, just because it was a really great way to connect to other people through laughter Mm -hmm. and through commonality. I mean, everybody, you've seen the Ted talk, everybody Mm -hmm. poops. Mm -hmm. It's something that like is universal. So it's just a really important topic of conversation that people don't (laughs) want to talk about. And I was thinking about like, once I became a dietitian, it's obviously something that comes up a lot. And I realized I was talking about it when I was working in a hospital, when I started my own practice, it was something that came up all the time. Like you have to know how people are pooping to really understand what their health is Mm. because everything that's going on in our body, a lot of things in our body are internal. So we don't really get that window in. We don't really see anything. Like we might have external presentations like eczema or psoriasis or, you know, allergies, something will give us these clues, but poop is a constant that really just keeps us on (laughs) the pulse of our health. So I couldn't escape it. It was part of my world as a dietitian. And I was thinking back and I was like, wow, this has been kind of a a through line of my life because I used to carry around this fake poop in my purse when I was in college. And I even took it abroad and I would take this little piece of fake poop and I would put it on the floor and I would just watch people's reactions. And it was like (laughs) (laughs) the most amazing thing ever because people would be like, oh my God, poop, watch out. And they'd be like, this is fake. And they'd pick it up and smell it. It was just like, (laughs) it was (laughs) just like everybody has some sort of connection there. So I was just thinking about like as a dietitian talking about it, kind of this through line of my life. And I was like, you know what? it's poop. And (laughs) I like talking about it. I think it's a really, like I said, it's an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people and to make that comfortable and to find kind of the laughter and the, the play when Mm -hmm. we're talking about our poop, that's just what I I love so much. So it, it just became this really powerful tool to honestly just get deeper connected to people and also people's health. It's really interesting because of all the doctor's visits that I've been to, I just kind of had this thought while you're talking is I've never once been asked about my poop, (laughs) but yeah, it's it's not something that people think about or doctors at least even think to ask. So yeah, there's a lot of questions. (laughs) They like, what are you eating? That can be another good one that often doesn't get asked. (laughs) So we could start with that. And then, you know, maybe at some point they'll come around to poop, but yeah, it's just so valuable. Like there's so many cool little things that we can tune into in our bodies that we already have that are just like mind opening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So in conventional medicine, you know, we don't necessarily, we're never taught. Most people are not talking about the gut. You know, we, we see that more in with registered dietitians, nutritional therapists, sometimes functional Mm -hmm. medicine practitioners, but in conventional medicine in general, nobody's really asking or talking about your poop and your gut. And especially they're not talking about the connection to the how the gut connects to everything else in your body, mm-hmm. um, you like you said it's it's a window, and yeah. you know you go to the dermatologist talk about eczema. They do they are not thinking about your gut, not even no. a little bit. No. So, can you since we're going to dive into a little bit specifically about gut and hormones, since hormones are you know a huge part of literally everything about our physiology as well. Um, can you talk about how? the gut and hormones are connected? Like how, how are they connected and how can our gut health actually 
cause or create um, hormone imbalances if our gut is off? Yeah. So, I mean, everything is connected and comes back to the gut. And that's what I started to figure out as I was kind of going through my practice as a dietitian. And I really got very focused in on the gut. And then I started practicing functional medicine and I started testing the gut. And literally everything, everything is correlated back to the health and integrity of your gut. And when we're looking at hormones, hormone imbalances are always, always downstream of a gut imbalance. And that can impact your thyroid, that can impact the way your insulin is regulating. So hormones are very, very tied into gut health. And specifically what they're finding is more so estrogen is really critically linked to the gut. And there's something called the estrobilum, which is essentially the way the gut metabolizes estrogen. And when I do stool tests on clients, when I dive into their poop, not personally, we <laughs> send it out to a lab, but when we're diving into that, we're actually looking at a marker called beta-glucuronidase. And that marker is a really good indication of how the gut is reactivating or metabolizing estrogen. So that can give us a lot of really good insights. But when there is that imbalance of good and bad bacteria, it really impacts the way that we process and regulate hormones. Interesting. So one, the gut actually helps us eliminate used hormones. And if mm-hmm. are and if we're not eliminating them, we're potentially reabsorbing them, correct? Is that what Yep. Yep. So that beta glucuronidase, when that's elevated, there's a potential that you are reactivating estrogen and sending it back into your body. So then we see things like estrogen dominance and just imbalances, irregular periods, all Mm -hmm. of those things that can happen when our hormones are dysregulated, but then it can even go further and it starts to impact your thyroid. It impacts inflammatory markers. So it's just, like I I said, I keep trying, like every time I try and step away from the gut, I'm like, Ooh, maybe I'll go explore this area. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but what's the integrity of your gut looking like? And it's like, Oh, what about this? And it's like, yeah, but what's the integrity of your gut? So (laughs) it's just such a critical piece in tying your entire health picture together. Yeah. You mentioned inflammation and I feel like we do talk about inflammation a lot, especially when we're talking about the gut. What mm-hmm. is inflammation in the gut? Like what is that? Is is our is the junctions are our enterocytes actually inflamed? Like when we think about inflammation, right? We think about our our ankle is swollen and it's red. But what exactly is happening when our gut is it's experiencing inflammation? So typically the way that that manifests, it can be be caused by a couple of different things, but it manifests and it will be seen as elevated. Like for me, I'm looking again at stool tests and blood work. So I'm looking at calprotectin levels, EPX. So we're actually seeing this inflammatory response and then the cell lining, the actual cells of the gut barrier will kind of start to pull away from each other. And now we have permeability and leakiness and that can kick off more of these autoimmune type pictures. So that's physiologically what's going on. And that can be caused from different things. So I think a lot of times we think about inflammation, we're like, oh, well, it's probably directly correlated to food, which it is, but there's also other levels and layers to that. So I always think about gut inflammation and just like figuring out what's going on in the gut from three different approaches. I think about it from a food perspective. So what's irritating the gut, not just what's a food allergy, but what's a food sensitivity and different than an allergy, different than a food intolerance. So a sensitivity is something that is upregulating your immune system. So that can interact with that inflammatory picture. And then I also think about the integrity and the status of the gut microbiome. So what type of bacteria do you have in there? Do you have more, for example, Provotella, which is a very inflammatory bacteria or Klebsiella? Are those in high levels? Those are inflammatory. Those can create that permeability. And then finally, the third one, which I think is not as straightforward and something that often gets skipped over and probably one of the hardest areas for my clients to always kind of get grounded into is the nervous system and how your nervous system is responding to your environment, to your world, to everything and how you're able to kind of adapt to the world. And that can actually play a role in inflammation and an imbalance as well. Okay, talk to me more about the nervous system because this is the piece that I think a lot of people miss. Are you talking yeah. about the vagus nerve and how the connection between like traumas, mental health, yes. like how we're emotionally coping and our gut that can actually cause gut dysfunction? Yes, 100%. That's a, exactly what I'm talking about. Vagus nerve and just your overall nervous system performance and how you're mm-hmm. able to kind of respond to stress but then downregulate from it. 
So we have our stress response, which I'm sure, you know, your audience is familiar with. We get stressed out, our adrenal glands kick into high gear, and then ultimately we should be able to recover from that, but we're not, we're not, we're just not recovering from that as well as we used to, just because there's so much in the world, you know, there's yes. social media, there's the media, there's just our people, like there's just so much, it's never ending. And that can be really hard to kind of step back from and allow your body to calm down from. And that is, like I said, probably one of the most challenging aspects that I work with my clients on is how do we look at our lives and then downregulate our nervous system when everything that we have in our lives is doing the exact opposite. You know, like we're being told you have to do more. We're having that notification in our hand, in our pocket. So it's Mm. just constant stimulation. And how do you disconnect from that and give your body the space and time it needs to recover. And that is so, so, so critically tied into the gut. And you mentioned, you know, yes, we have this day-to-day recovery that needs to happen, but we also have trauma. We also have emotional response. And that is something that will change the entire way your body functions. So you and I will have different types of trauma. You and I will store it differently and we'll have different reactions because of that. So if we're skipping over that piece of saying, okay, how is my emotional health? How am I processing things in my life or things that have happened to me? We have to, we have to really take a moment to sit into that and sink into that. Otherwise we're never going to achieve health and healing, especially when we're dealing with gut imbalances and also hormone dysregulation. Wow. I love the shift because I think a lot of times we talk about managing stress and stress is hard to quantify or it's hard to kind of put into words. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like the idea of talking about it as you have to manage how your nervous system is responding. So like looking at your nervous system as like almost like it's attached to some sort of, you know, drip. And every time you look on Mm -hmm. Facebook and somebody annoys you or somebody leaves a comment and you're like, I don't like that comment or I don't like that person. Boop. It's another little hit, another little drip, another little stimulation on that nervous system, that stress response. And, you know, even being in the car and, and, you know, in traffic, that's another hit and Mm -hmm. not being able to not, you know, maybe not eating enough, not eating the right things, not, you know, micronutrient deficiencies, um, you know, staying up late and and watching something on TV and not getting to sleep or, you know, just all these little things are are hits to your nervous system. And if you are con and then that doesn't even include the inability to manage, you know, maybe emo- mental, emotional, heavy things that we deal with as a society that we don't mm. we, we don't process. You know, everybody mm. has these little micro traumas and maybe some people are dealing with heavy things and that leads to depression or anxiety. And that can just like persist if you don't deal with that, if you do not process that, if you're not able to like move through that and you stuff it like most people are told to do. Right. Like a lot of mm-hmm. people grow up being told you're too sensitive. You need to stuff it. Um, you know, we are, then we become adults that are literally dealing with that every day, all day on top of all of the things that we're already dealing with. And then, you know, we wonder why we're having major gut issues or, you know, like we can't go to the bathroom or we're constipated or, or whatnot. So I love that, um, that, that not a reframe, but the, the almost just kind of that shift thinking uh, instead of like, oh, I'm just stressed. Like, and you gotta, (laughs) you gotta manage your stress, you know, take a bubble bath or whatever. I think we, we always think about managing stress as opposed to how do we stop? How do we make it so that we don't have to undo the damages, right? How do we, how do we pull the stress out from our lives, those hits to our nervous system? So by the end of the day, we don't need like, oh my gosh, I need a glass of wine or a bubble bath or whatever to like manage the stress to undo it, unravel it. Like don't ravel it in the first place. (laughs) Exactly. How can you build a life where it's a little bit easier to navigate? Because I think that's one of the things that I I got really bored (laughs) talking about as a dietitian, when I didn't have this more enhanced tool set, but I was just like talking to so many people about, okay, you have to manage your stress. Let's look at your life and see where you can do that. Can you get in a five minute meditation? And it just becomes a little bit like, I don't know, it just didn't feel like deep enough. And when you can connect it to this deeper, like resiliency of your nervous system or nervous system performance, and then really kind of get into the physiological response, 
and see, you know, I do a lot of testing in my practice. So I'm looking at the HPA axis. I'm looking at how your adrenals are responding and how the stress is manifesting. I'm looking at micronutrient imbalances. I'm looking at the microbiome. So we're able to then quantify this a little bit better and say like, okay, yeah, it goes beyond just like take the bubble bath, drink the glass of wine, but like, here's how it's physiologically impacting your body. And here's what's going to happen or continue to happen if you don't address this. And that's a sense of, I always look at data as a sense of empowerment versus like these big grand, like just try and do this and you know, good luck. And I don't know how long it's going to take when we don't really know our bodies. We got to, we got to get back into like knowing our bodies. That's what I find to be really important. I love that. So if someone is, because you're, you're mentioning a lot of tests, if someone is experiencing serious digestive issues, maybe they've tried changing their diet, they've done a ton of, you know, food sensitivity tests, which I'd love to get your thoughts on too, but mm-hmm. what, what's their first step? Like what, what should it be a, st- a comprehensive stool test? Like somebody comes to you and says, I have all these serious digestive issues. Like what do you recommend they do first? Yeah. So this is an interesting one because this is typically my answer to this is kind of a paradigm shift for a lot of people where it's not about doing one test. It's not about doing one session. It's about committing to a healing journey because I can do a stool test. I can do one food sensitivity test, but if we're not looking at everything comprehensively, we're missing the bigger picture. And that's where I feel like if we're not like, I, I won't run single tests on people because I feel like I'm doing a disservice because we're still looking through a pinhole to try and understand this big, beautiful, complex system. So when people come to me, I always will, I I work with people in three month or six month capacities. I don't do the one-off sessions, not because it's like, I'm like, oh, I don't have time. I would love to do that, but it just doesn't give us the results and it doesn't give us the clarity and the in-depth in-depthness. I don't know if that's a word, (laughs) but the in-depth level of information that you need. And as you kind of said, people are struggling with this and they'll do one thing here. They'll spend a couple hundred bucks and they'll try and figure it out. And it just persists for years and years and years. And when people come to me, I'm like, all right, let's stop playing around and let's dive in and commit. So when I'm looking, when, when I want to do like a full gut restoration on someone we're looking at comprehensive stool testing, food sensitivity testing, and then also something um, called organic acids. Mm-hmm. And that gives me, in my opinion, a very comprehensive look. If you want to go deeper, then I do those. I also do hormone testing. I do blood work and I do genetic testing. So those are kind of like the tests that I always use to approach every single question about what is happening, what's going on in my body, how do I fix it? Because I've come from both ends of it. I've come from being a dietitian where I'm looking at symptomology and saying like, okay, based on your symptoms, here's what I think is going on. Here's what we can try and do. And then the other side of saying like, all right, let's look really in depth into your body and then we can get clarity and move forward and get a really specific plan of action together. What stool tests are you, do you typically recommend and use? Yeah. So I do two different ones. I like GI map just mm-hmm. as kind of like a starting off point. And then I really, really like BiomeFX, which gives you a little bit more in-depth view of the actual microbiome, the bacteria levels, the family levels, the genus levels. So it breaks it down really, really uh, really intensely <laughs> and looks at different pathogens, things that can disrupt it. It also goes into B vitamin production, how you're producing mm-hmm. vitamin K, glutathione. So it gives us that really beautiful window into the gut. So I typically like to start with GI map and then go deeper with BiomeFX if we need to restore, rebuild the microbiome. So I have a lot of different ones that I like to use. I love I love to get people to poop in a box. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Like, Will you poop in this French fry container? And they're like, what? <laughs> but that's, it's the we worst. We get so much good stuff. We get so much good data. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in the end worth it. But uh, yeah. Um, and then food sensitivity tests. This is always, and you know, we're seeing those commercials now where it's like, I'm just going to do this mail at mail in food sensitivity mm-hmm. test. And it's, you know, so easy now. So can we really understand food sense? And I know a lot of people who've done multiple tests and they'll get different yeah. results and different foods. So like what's going on there and when should people focus on that? Because people now are doing that first. Like that's right. what they do. Right. You know, it's like, oh, well, let me just do this. Which again is one part. So if we can go back to thinking about it on that three pronged approach, hopefully that will help people just understand this a little bit better because it's the food, it's the gut and it's the nervous system. So when we start with food, 
that's great. I mean, I think it's always good to, again, collect data. But what happens with food sensitivity testing, especially the mail-in ones, is they're looking at IgG. So IgG response is a, is a type of immune response. And that what it does is it measures one immune pathway, but oftentimes it will kind of assess or collect information saying that you had this larger reaction to something and it will identify it as problematic when it was just something that the body responded to. So our bodies, we, we can eat lots of different foods. We can have these little responses that aren't necessarily a bad thing. It's just our body interacting with an external compound. So IgG, what it does is it overinflates what we're actually reactive to. So I'll get a lot of people that'll be like, yeah, I took this test. I took this test. And now I have 45 foods that I can't eat. And 30 of those are things I eat every single day. And that's one of the main problems with IgG is a lot of times what will come up as reactive are things that you eat frequently. So there's already, it's, I just don't love it Yeah, (laughs) because it, it just kind of feeds this, this area of overwhelm that I find so many of my clients are already in when they have digestive issues. It's just overwhelming. There's nowhere to go to get answers. It's very unclear. And so this is just kind of fueling the fire where it's like, okay, great. So now I eliminate all these foods and for how long? And what if my symptoms don't go away and I still feel bloated? Like there's just so many, so many things. So I got away from IgG testing. And I say this because I used to do it because that was a a big standard for a lot of practitioners is do the Mm -hmm. IgG testing, figure out what's going on, put someone on a very, very strict elimination diet And then you can start to reintroduce them. Some people can do that. Like, again, some people are like, cool, I've got my 45 foods. I'm going to eliminate. I can do this. Like I see there are people out there that are just, I don't know, (laughs) really, really good at following instructions. But for most of us, myself included, it's just too intense and overwhelming. So I like to do something called an MRT test, which looks at the endpoint immune response or the endpoint modulators of the immune system. So like cytokines, prostaglandins things that our immune system is producing in reaction to food. And that gives us just a little bit more clarity on what foods are actually problematic. And it's not as big of a list. It's more in depth. It's just, it's just more uh, accurate. And I find having done both again in my practice, this MRT test just gets my clients such better results and it's so profound. And when they take those foods out, it's like night and day for a lot of people. Mm. Interesting. So if you take those foods out and you don't see the night and day difference, it may not have been a good quality test, or you may have been using one of the IgG tests that kind of was just like, here are 8 million foods that <laughs> that you need to take out. Um, and that might not be the root of your, your issue. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it can. Yeah. So that, and also going back to the food is one piece. <laughs> so you yes, can take that out, right. see a difference, still have issues and okay. still not be getting to the root cause. Because food is not typically the root cause. Food is exacerbating the underlying root cause. So that's what we have to figure out. And root cause is developed, or you can identify that more with the stool test. And then again, like uh, the stress management piece, that nervous system regulation is just so critical. I didn't used to think it was a big deal until I (laughs) started working with more and more people. And I'm Mm. like, wow, this is really the, one of the biggest barriers that comes up that I see in my clients that prevent actual full body healing is not sitting into why am I (laughs) the way I am? And with a lot of people with digestive issues, it's very stressful. It, you know, we become very, and I say we, because I had many, many digestive issues and we become very anxious, very afraid of food. It can kind of present as very controlling with going out with the socializing aspects of life because it's, it becomes a source of fear and pain. So that's another really important part to process and understand is your emotional relationship to your health, to your body and to food. So I'm just going to come out and say it. You all know I don't have any products on here that I don't use personally. Most of the time I find something I love and then I go and ask them to sponsor. Element was one of the first sponsors that I had actually not heard about, saw the product and was like, this is exactly what I've been looking for, started using it. And I think it has become my most favorite product ever that I get to talk about on the show, which is such a blessing. And I'm so thankful that they support this podcast. I use it every day. It has made such a huge difference. Just 
comparing last year and what I was doing in terms of my workouts and the heat. And this year, I even, I mean, even this week, I just did a 45-minute workout, had Element after, just one packet, had a had a, a glass of, of Element afterwards, and it I didn't feel anything. Like, I didn't feel the fatigue. I didn't feel the dizziness, nothing. And it just made such a huge difference in my ability to recover and my energy levels. So if you are active or you're following a whole foods diet, I think that you can see such positive result from electrolyte replacement like element and that's spelled l-m-n-t uh, electrolytes are so important because water absorption in your body is dependent upon the absorption of key electrolytes like sodium and magnesium and potassium yes it is intentionally high in sodium because we lose it so quickly when we sweat and it, because when you have like a whole foods diet like so many of you are following it's naturally low in sodium And so if you are low in sodium, it shows up as dizziness and muscle cramps and headaches and fatigue and even sleep disturbances. So Element actually makes these grab-and-go electrolyte replacement supplements. You just take a recharge packet, which they have all different flavors, mix it with water, and then you sip on it. There is no sugar, gluten fillers, artificial ingredients, and it's paleo-friendly. It's the first of its kind. I used to work in the endurance athlete industry, and always was looking for something like this and here it is so I've been using element regularly on workout days um I usually drink it right afterwards but now with the heat happening <laughs> like the heat wave it's 97 degrees today here actually I've actually been drinking it a little bit even on my off days and it, it's made such a difference so there is a brand new watermelon flavor it's amazing there is a limited edition grapefruit flavor I love that they're coming out with all these new flavors for us because they know we drink it on a daily basis and the variety is great so Grab grapefruit if you can. It reminds me a lot of raspberry. It's slightly tart, but slightly sweet, which is perfect. Um, If you want to try a variety of flavors, just grab a free sample box by going to drinklmnt.com forward slash well fed. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash well fed. You'll just pay for shipping and you can try all the a variety of the flavors and figure out which, which one's your favorite and just see how it, how it works for you. Try it on workout days. Try it on days that you're out in the heat. And then if you love it, come back, use our link and you can do the buy three boxes, get one free. That's the best value. Um, and you can pick the flavors that you want. So again, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash well fed. I, uh, just to repeat what you said, which is so good, it's it, the food is not the issue. It's it's the and it's being it's as exacerbating the issue, or it's almost like a symptom of an mm-hmm. underlying issue. So I think a lot of us, especially, you know, early on when you're thinking about nutrition, and I just think early 2000s, like we all were always thinking like, it's the food, it's the gluten, like that the food is the cause of all these issues, right? Mm -hmm. And then it developed into it's not so much the food, it's the terrain, you know, and so yes, food can exacerbate issues. But if you're allergic to if you're doing a food sensitivity test, and it comes back with like 20 different foods or 30 different foods that you're quote unquote allergic to or sensitive to or whatever, Mm -hmm. Those foods didn't cause your digestive issues. That's now a result of yes. um, a much deeper underlying issue. So we always look for the easy things. Oh, it's a food. You know, it's got to be the food. I'm just going to do the elimination diet. And it's going to fix it. And it's, it's, you know, it's a comprehensive approach, which I, I just love that you touched on that. So you yeah. typically do, do you recommend elimination diets? And when people figure out like, okay, these foods are the ones that are causing me issues you take those out and then do you eventually bring them back in or are they out forever yep so that's another reason why i make i shouldn't say i force people but i really like to have that commitment of either three to six months of working together because part of our work is removing those foods healing the microbiome down regulating the nervous system and then reintroducing the foods and making sure the diet is expanded because long-term health and long-term well long-term gut health is correlated on diversity in the diet. So if you just continue to eliminate and eliminate and eliminate and eliminate, it doesn't create long-term sustainable health within your gut microbiome. So we have to look at, okay, we've removed these because right now they're burdening your body. Hmm. So first we have to take the burden off the body so it can get back into balance. Our bodies are amazing. They want to be in balance. They want to do all the right things. But when they're being burdened by things, we have to take that off and allow them to heal. So we remove those foods, 
heal the gut, and then bring them back in very systematically to understand, okay, what foods are reactive, what foods are not reactive, because sometimes they can still be reactive. But we just want to be clear on what exactly it is and what is still the issue. Got it. So do you recommend people do stool tests who don't have any digestive symptoms, but maybe have other issues like estrogen dominance or even skin issues like eczema? Like if somebody comes to you and they don't have digestive issues, but other things, are you still doing stool tests? A thousand percent. Yes. Because those are presentations of gut imbalances, whether it's presenting as an actual like tangible physical feeling, those are still manifestations of gut imbalances. Like eczema is external inflammation coming from internal. And how is that happening? It's from food you're eating. It's from your gut. It's from stress. Like it's just, I would never not run a stool test on somebody that came to me with eczema or a skin issue because it's so directly correlated. And a lot of times what I do see is we run the stool test. Let's say I have people that don't have digestive issues and they're like, yeah, I'm having these hormone imbalances. Well, then we run it. We find that elevated beta glucuronidase. We find high levels of maybe even normal, good bacteria, bad bacteria, whatever it is, when those are in high levels, those are also eating different nutrients that we're exposed to. So now we have zinc deficiencies, magnesium deficiencies, B vitamin imbalances, and that's all correlated to every single function in our body, regulating inflammation. B vitamins will regulate the ability for our body to convert homocysteine, which is an inflammatory marker. So everything, I'm like, oh my God, I could get, I get like so passionate talking about it because it all comes back to the gut and really getting that, as you mentioned, terrain to a healthy place is the, it's just the core of everything. Yeah. So I know a a lot of people, we all have experience with this is that things, days change, you know, day-to-day life changes, our food changes, and so does our poop. So Mm -hmm. what does, what can our poop tell us about our digestion in in particular? So like, I know that there's a lot of different ways that our poop can present, but maybe you can run us through a few things of, okay, if you're seeing this, it means that you're not digesting, you know, fat well or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I encourage everybody to Google the Bristol stool chart, or I think I have a poop guide on my, on my website. I can send you the link for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and just start to get familiar with what your poop should look like. Just like step one is looking at what should it look like? Because we're oftentimes only used to seeing our own poop. (laughs) We don't usually look at like, our friends poop or, I mean, if you have a kid, I look at poop every single day. I know. Like I, multiple times a day. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> you know, nose deep yeah. in poop all the time. I smell so it every day, yeah. all the time. I'm like dumping. We're in, are you potty training? Or are you changing diapers? <laughs> We're diapers. He's a year and a half, but we just, we just today got our potty training books. And he's like starting to like show a little bit of interest in the toilet. So we're like, okay, cool. We're going to start the conversation. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny because when you're talking about poop, I'm like, I literally, I'm always evaluating what his poop is saying. Like always because, you know, he goes into a little toilet and it's just better for them when they're, they're younger to poop on a small toilet as opposed to like hanging from a bigger toilet with a potty (laughs) seat thing. So, you know, I always have him sit on the small potty on the floor with his knees out and up. And then um, I dump it into the, you know, the potty, but the actual toilet. But I'm always like, huh, this one was really big and hard or this one was smaller or this one like came out really easily. And I always am thinking back to like what he ate and what he, you know, how he drank or whatever. But it's it's funny because it's like all day, every day. I'm just wrist deep in poop. Yeah. (laughs) Poop, poop, poop. I know. It's like my personal life and my professional life. It's just all poop. All of it. (laughs) I dream about poop. (laughs) I wake up. I'm like, yeah. So I think that's, I think what you mentioned though, too, like there's a lot of variation within poop because it changes depending on, I mean, everything. So I think it's really important just to kind of, like I said, look at the Bristol stool chart, get an idea of what it should look like on a day-to-day basis. But when there are things that are happening for extended period periods of time. Like if you have loose poop, or I had a client that described it as tea, (laughs) like she would flush the toilet and it would just turn into like a tea color. Mm. That's something that is something we want to look into. So ideally we want it to be formed. We want it to come out easy. We want it to be minimal cleanup. And when it's varying from that on a consistent basis, that's when we have to dive deeper. So when you do have looser poops, typically that can be an issue with enzymes. Maybe you're not breaking things down well, especially if you're seeing like chunks of food in your poop, like pieces of carrot or uh, another one that people see a lot of is lettuce. 
I don't know why that one, maybe because it's easy to see, but if you see yeah. these like big chunks of food in kids, it's going to be a little different because their digestive system isn't mature yet. So you will see bigger chunks of food in a child's poop, but as an adult, we shouldn't really be seeing that anymore. Um, so that can be an indication of an enzyme need. If it's loose, that can be an irritation that can maybe be a sign of inflammation or you're eating a lot of things that your, your stomach is sensitive to. Sometimes it can present, that can be parasites, dysbiosis. So, I mean, any, on either end of it, it's like, if it's constipation, dysbiosis, maybe a methane dominant bacteria that's slowing motility down, um, imbalance, maybe not enough magnesium. So there's so many, just so many different nuances and things that you can learn about your body by looking at your poop. And like I said, I have a guide, my poop guide that goes into that very in depth. And then also references, like if you were to get a stool test, what could this also tell you? Yeah. All right, let's jump into questions from the community. Um, the first one, of course, is about poop. This is from Carrie. She says, how long can it take for your gut to react to a food? Could there be a delayed reaction? And what are some of the possible reactions besides poop issues? So the first, if it's an allergic reaction, that happens pretty immediately. If it's a food sensitivity, you can have up to three days of a delayed reaction because it's going down different immune response pathways. So that's what makes it so tricky oftentimes to do these elimination diets or to guess and to say like, okay, I'm just going to eliminate this and see how I feel um, because we have these delayed responses. So unless you're being super organized and you know exactly what you're looking for and you're being like very systematic with your elimination and reintroduction, it's very, very overwhelming and confusing. And oftentimes people will say, oh, but I had this one day and I felt fine. And then I had it again two days later and it caused a reaction. Well, we don't really know if it was that food or if it was something you had three days ago. So that's that's the answer to that part of the question. And I think there was another one that now I don't remember. What's our possible reactions besides poop issues? So if somebody like is ex- eating a food and you said it could they could experience something within three days, like what are other symptoms that you typically see? Oh uh, yeah, so you can I'll see things like brain fog, um, like just a drop in energy. Sometimes it can present as skin issues, like maybe there's redness or there's like a little bit of an eczema flare. Those are kind of the main things that I, I typically see with when it's not presenting directly as bloating, gas, constipation, diarrhea. You'll see more of like that mood shift, the brain fog, energy dips. Mm, yeah. Amelia wants to know, she says, I have witnessed my husband have to poop like diarrhea 20 minutes after eating a food he doesn't like react well to like ice cream or pizza. He says he has been this way since he was a kid. Is this even possible? He He's obviously has now learned to avoid these foods most of the time. So yeah, so I think that's a good, really good question because that kind of brings me to the difference between a food allergy, a food intolerance, and a food sensitivity because all three of those things mm-hmm. are different. So a food allergy can create an immediate reaction. Depends, doesn't sound like this is a food allergy. It sounds like it's more of a food intolerance. And what that means is we don't have the digestive capacity. So that comes down to an enzyme issue. And that's when we'll see things like people that eat dairy and have that like lactose intolerant response will just have diarrhea, get it all out, maybe have some gas and bloating and be done. It's not necessarily an anaphylactic kind of a response, like that big immune response when it's an allergy. And then the food sensitivity is that delayed reaction also going through an immune response pathway, but the food intolerance is not activating the immune system. Got it. Okay. So this one's from Annika. She says, when do, when should I enlist a practitioner's help versus just trying to rule out things uh, myself at home? How long to try different diets, eliminating certain things like dairy, gluten, et cetera, before deciding it's time to get help? So first and foremost, when, <laughs> when do you know you need like a practitioner's help? <laughs> Well, I'm biased on this one. (laughs) And I would say as soon as possible, just because it's going to decrease the amount of time you are suffering, that you're overwhelmed, that you're struggling with this, and it'll just give you clarity and the insights that you need. So it's kind of, it's really how, I almost want to say like, how disruptive is this in your day-to-day life? But the other side of me is like, if you're noticing issues, just get it addressed sooner rather than later, because it's only most likely going to get worse. So the the faster you can get in front of it, just the healthier you're going to be, you're going to decrease inflammation. You're going to know more about your body. Like I'm such a fan of getting the information and just stepping into your health from a place of empowerment. Cause we often let it go. And then, you know, I, I talk to people, they're like, I've been dealing with this for five years and I'm like, Oh my God, 
yeah. five years. Why, why do we think that that's okay? And I say we again, because I've been there too. And like, why do we think it's okay to just put our health on the back burner and say like, I'll deal with that later. Mm-hmm. It's such a, I almost feel like it's just a way that we were raised or taught about things because it's like, you know, as long as you can get up and do the things you need to do and power through, everything else can wait. And it's like, no, the sooner you get in front of this, the sooner you know your body, the sooner you show up for yourself, that's going to just go into every other area of your life. Yeah. What kind of dogs do you have? <laughs> I was like, oh no, I hope they can't hear the dogs barking. Um, they're Maltese miniature pinchers. I was like, they're small dogs. I can hear the they small barks. They are tiny, yappy little doggies. And um, yeah. yeah, that's cute. I have, I, I did have two big, big boxers. One of them just passed away, but their oh. barks are really loud and is just for a go forever because I like they just don't stop boxers they're pretty energetic so um I completely get it <laughs> yeah these guys will calm down I think I think my husband just came home yeah <laughs> so they're yeah, very excited yeah. <laughs> uh mo- the majority of the past five years on this podcast that everybody will know I always am like oh there goes my dogs I'm sorry because <laughs> I just can't handle well I'm glad it could be me this time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this one's from Paula. She says, how estrogen leaves the body and how wide does it actually get reabsorbed and how to maximize this process? So we talked about how estrogen gets reabsorbed. What do you do in those scenarios? If somebody has estrogen dominance and they're like, I want to get get it out. I want to eliminate my estrogen. Yeah. What are some tips that you have? Uh, rebalancing the microbiome. So looking at what is out of balance and then using antimicrobials to really just clear out any pathogens, any opportunistic bacteria, any yeast, and then rebuilding and looking at, all right, how can we get the right foods into your system? How can we get the right prebiotics? And how can we get the right probiotics? So it's a very detailed (laughs) approach and a detailed system to look at things, not as, I mean, we typically are like, yeah, we'll just take a probiotic and it'll fix everything. But when we're dealing with anything, I mean, when we're dealing with anything that's imbalanced in the body or symptoms or estrogen dominance, we really want to get as clear as we can what's going on in your specific microbiome and how do we help. So antimicrobials and then repopulating with prebiotics, probiotics. Sometimes there's different things that can help like calcium deglucrate is another good one that can bring down that elevated beta-glucuronidase. But again, if you're just going to take the cal- uh, calcium deglucrate, you're still missing that bigger like what is the terrain of your microbiome. Yeah. And just for people who maybe have never gotten their like they've never actually gone and gotten help or gotten a stool test. When you say antimicrobials, you're taking certain um, supplements or nutrients and, and, you know, essentially nutrients that are going to help to, that are specifically targeted to the gut. Yes. um, That will help get rid of or rebalance the bacteria in your gut. Yeah. So things like oil of oregano, berberine, thyme, neem, wormwood, like all of these, there's all these really beautiful plants that are very targeted to clearing out parasites or bacteria or yeast or like using biofilm disruptors. So there's a lot of things that I'll focus on to say like, okay, what's going on? And then how can we use these more holistic tools to clear it out? Got it. Okay. So this is from Kelly. After having my two children, I struggled with bad constipation. Not something I ever experienced before. I did all the things in quotation, water, exercise, high fiber foods, nothing helped. My Mm -hmm. doctor said it was postpartum hormonal imbalances. So I had an IUD with hormones put in three years ago, literally had the IUD put in and the constipation stopped that day. Haven't experienced it since I'm having trouble with it now and I want to have it removed, but I'm terrified I'll be hit with constipation constipation again. What can I do? Hmm. <laughs> There's I mean, a lot there. So you, yeah, you go wherever yeah, you want. <laughs> it's a it's a great question. And hormones, you know, guts, hormones we've talked about, very, very connected. And um progesterone is another one that can actually interact with motility. So if you think about it, sometimes when we get like when we're gearing up to get our period, we'll get a lot of gas and bloating or we'll get <laughs> I have a friend that calls it I don't know if I can curse, but she calls it the the period shit, <laughs> where <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, you know, you just kind of clear everything out. Yeah. <laughs> so our hormones definitely do impact motility. And that could be what happened in that case. But again, going back to the terrain, the integrity of your microbiome, dysbiosis that's underlying in there, we can do these little fixes that can help in the interim. But ultimately, the symptoms will come back if you haven't addressed the root cause or really looked at the health and well-being of the overall gut. So if you were a client of mine, I would 
obviously want to do testing and understand what your microbiome looks like before maybe taking out the IUD just to kind of see like, all right, where are you at? What is your body doing? Yeah. I think it's actually encouraging that like birth control like fixed it temporarily because that means that there is there is something that's like you know you have an imbalance yeah and so that imbalance when you rectify that imbalance get to the root cause and fix that um you can you'll definitely be able to like have good poops again i i've confidence in that. So yeah. 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 I Um, I would agree. Yeah. Sarah, this is from Sarah. She says, I have a spastic descending colon from IBS that leads to thin pencil-like stool. The spasms also trap a lot of gas in my left side, which is super painful. Any tips on regulating the motion of the colon so this doesn't happen again? So when I think about motility, I think about magnesium. That's another, that's a really important nutrient in just having things move along. Um, and also spasms. You think about even like our muscles, magnesium is really, really potent at just regulating muscle function. So I think about that. And then I also think about motility from, um, something called the migrating motor complex, which is just the ability of your food to process and clear things out like bacteria and ginger. Ginger is another one that can be really potent in helping motility. 5-HTP is one, although I don't use that a lot. And I wouldn't suggest anyone being like, Oh, I'm just going to go and try five HTP mm-hmm. um, because it, it does have a, um, it impacts serotonin and yeah, there's just a lot of neurotransmitter considerations to, mm-hmm. to think about when you're doing something like that. Um, but those are the things I think about with just any type of like spastical. And then especially being diagnosed with IBS, like that to me is another clear indicator that there's probably more going on there that would be really good to uncover because I, I see many clients with IBS and IBS seems to be just like, you have these digestive issues. They're not a disease. You don't have colitis. You don't have diverticulitis. We can't categorize it as anything. So you just have IBS. And it's like this catch-all diagnosis that doesn't really give us that much clarity in what's going on. It's just more of like, okay, you have this now just manage it. Hmm. And really it's, you have this issue that's caused by something, but we don't know what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's just IBS and you just, you know, <laughs> good yeah. luck. Yeah. Try the low FODMAP diet. Maybe like that's, right. that's usually the, the recommendations that a lot of GI doctors or even I've seen some primary care doctors give, which is, is fine. Like there is, there is, you know, some good stuff there, but again, it's not going to get to, well, what's really going on and how do you fix this for good? And with IBS, are you typically seeing um, imbalances in specific bacteria? Like I know it's highly correlated with like SIBO, but are you seeing, can you look at somebody's stool test and say, or even maybe somebody comes to you and says, I have X, Y, and Z symptom. Are you at the point where you can be like, I bet you this bacteria is, is overgrown and it might be this, or is it still all, it's always like a little bit of a grab bag. Yeah, it's, it's always like every day I'm just impressed and humbled by the microbiome. And I think it's such a it's such a new science as well. Like stool testing is still relatively new mm-hmm. and we're just learning about the microbiome. So I think it's it's really just it sometimes feels like we're scratching the surface and everybody is so unique in their presentations. And again, it's not always just about the microbiome, especially with IBS. There's so much anxiety and emotional and again that nervous system piece that can start triggering it so it becomes this like chicken or egg where it's like i get anxiety and then my gut acts up or does my gut act up and i get anxiety so a lot of times that can be tied in deeply to ibs and then you know we create these neural pathways these memories where we're like "Uh oh i feel this way here it comes and then we kind of tip ourselves into this full-blown gut reaction so Mm. again it's just like food poop nervous system. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then you have people like me who try to simplify it. I'm like, can you, can we just like figure this out so that there's like this, yeah. this bacteria equals this problem. And it's not, it, it just can't, it doesn't work that way in a while. Okay. So we're not simple. Pe- I mean, <laughs> it's like, could you simplify a human? And it's like, yeah. oh gosh, no way. Nope. We are complex beings. <laughs> right. Um, okay, this is from Zoe. She says the challenge for me right now is post uh, post surgical pain uh, medic 
medication management of constipation. I'm taking stool softeners, Miralax, tea with Senna, magnesium. I had surgery on Friday to repair a fractured wrist and have been having a terrible time ever since. I'm trying to eat protein for healing, but also eating an apple every day, hoping the fiber helps. Have a bottle of magnesium citrate on standby, but would love to hear other suggestions. Yeah, well, I mean... Anytime you take pain meds, those are, they slow motility. So they are very correlated to constipation. So it sounds like this is just temporary. And if you can just continue to do the management, the things that you're doing to go to the bathroom, it'll be fine. It's not going to have long-term effects. Um, just again, cause it's, if it's wrist surgery, then it seems like you'll be on pain meds maybe for a couple days. And then once you're off of those medications, your bowel movements should return back to normal, but pain meds are historically constipating. Got it. Okay. So this is from Janet. It sounds like a lot of people are like dealing with constipation. She says how to support someone wanting to come off of years of using detox tea to have to poop every day. So if we have people in our lives <laughs> who are struggling with poop, what are those like main things we have to hit to not be con like if we're constipated, what yeah. do you like? What are your, what are your go-tos for like, let's get the poop moving. Yeah. Constipation is a, is a tricky one. Um, it's again, there's a huge emotional tie-in, but if we're looking at, all right, what can we just do right now? The, the basics fiber, making sure you're getting good sources of both insoluble and soluble fiber along with water and electrolytes and minerals that can all help so I, I like to do electrolyte powder. I like Ultima. That's mm -hmm. one of my favorites. There's another one, LMNT. It's a little bit saltier, but that's another good one. Uh, and then trace minerals can also help. So if you have mineral electrolyte imbalances, that can slow motility, cause constipation. I also really like aloe, either aloe vera juice or an aloe extract if it's really gnarly constipation. Um, something like cape aloe is really good. And yeah, magnesium, magnesium oxide is another one that can really clear things out. So that is one of the most poorly absorbed forms of magnesium, which in the case of constipation is, is really great because you want something that's poorly absorbed because magnesium will pull water into your intestines and help you go to the bathroom. Um, okay. This one is from Lindsay. She says, how can I increase fat absorption in my digestion? Increase fat absorption. Well, I would make sure that you're breaking it down efficiently. So if you have adequate enzymes, specifically lipase, which is the enzyme that will help you break down fat, that will help you absorb it better. And then again, just making sure that the microbiome is balanced, that you have a good amount of healthy bacteria to, I don't want to call it bad bacteria, but we have we have good bacteria, bad bacteria. We have it all in there. It just has to be in the right balance. So making sure that there's no dysbiosis is also going to help your body break down and absorb fat more efficiently. Okay. The other side of the coin. So she, Alyssa <laughs> says with IBS, IBD, constipation, I can remedy, but diarrhea, what is your go-to fix when it just won't stop? She said, I recently learned ginger eases the stomach, but can exacerbate diarrhea. Yeah. Cause ginger is that motility activator. So we do have to be oh. careful with, with ginger and diarrhea. Um, I'm a big fan I mean, I, I, I grew up in the conventional world. I, I was a dietitian and saw this work really well was the brat diet, which I'm sure she's familiar. So bananas, rice, applesauce, toast, that's really helpful at just binding things up, uh, making sure you're drinking enough electrolytes. Cause when we have diarrhea, we're pooping out a lot of our electrolytes. So that's really, really critical as well. Um, sometimes I will use something like an activated charcoal or mimosa pudica, which is like a spongy uh, it just like absorbs things. So that can be another good one. But really, again, if it's diarrhea, it's like, why is that? Why is that there in the first place? And I've seen that really linked to pathogens, different pathogens that we can have, like sometimes E. coli or cryptosporidia. I don't know if I said that right. Um, but that one can be another big one correlated with diarrhea. So pathogens, parasites, imbalanced bacteria. Okay, this is a super interesting question. It's from Christy. She says, my body odor has changed recently. My sweat and bowel movements smell changed back in May, and I have no diet, medication, body product changes. Could this be gut related? And this, I was reading this mm. question. I was like, yeah, why is that? Sometimes, I mean, in Christy's scenario, it seems to have changed long term, but sometimes like it, our poop is super smelly and other times it's not. And this goes back to my toddler where sometimes <laughs> I'm like, dude, this is awful. And then like other times it's not as bad. So does our poop smell actually mean anything? 
Well, our poop smell, if it's, if it's not like clearing out the room every single time, like if it is that varied, I mean, it's very correlated to what we've eaten. If we've had more foods with sulfur, it's going to be a little bit stinkier. If we ate something that we didn't just, we didn't break it down as well. That could create a little bit more fermentation. Sometimes if it's our, our motility has temporarily slowed, like I know I'll notice that with my kid too. If he like usually he poops, he poops so much, but if he goes for a longer period of time without pooping, then when the next time he poops, it's, it's so stinky. So right. motility can also impact that as well. And then also I think about like toxic burden and just what is your body? What are you asking your body to move out and break down and clear out? Because our livers are, most of us know our livers are the big detoxifiers, but then it dumps it into the gut. So maybe there was exposure to something. Maybe you have more, you know, like, I don't know, maybe you're sitting in a room with new carpet. <laughs> like there's all these little different nuances and things that our body has to interact with and, and process and clear out that can change um, what's going on. Maybe you had a stressful conversation with somebody and it just kind of like jolted your body a little bit. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Stress can change your poop smell. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so this is from Katie, which is also another really good question. Why are beans the way they are? I love them, but no one, but no one loves me afterwards. Uh, so what's going yeah, on there? They are the musical fruit. Um, <laughs> so they actually have something on them called raffinose, which is a starch, and it is very poorly digested by humans. So that is why it is <laughs> the musical fruit. It just it just creates more gas. Yeah. And that's pretty much across the board. And the healthier, sometimes like farting is normal. Um, if it's that like really stinky room clearing farts, that can be a little bit, that's just something to pay attention to. But when you have a healthy diet, you are going to fart more. It's just more fiber and more things for your body to break down and process. It just creates a little bit more gas. It should never be like horribly stinky or painful. Hmm. Okay. She also says tips for distinguishing between pelvic floor related constipation and diet slash gut related. Are these two things different? Because that actually, that's a great question. Mm, That is a really good question. And yeah, they are different. If you have any issues, like any imbalances in your pelvic floor, that can be very correlated to constipation. So I would say if you can, you know, get that, go to a a therapist that specializes in that and work on it, because that's a mechanical issue that can prevent, you know, that can impact us from having normal bowel movements. So that's something that I will sometimes dig into with my clients as well. It's like, all right, maybe we need to think like we're looking so heavily at the biological, physiological component, but there's also mechanical components in the way that our bodies work. So getting clear on what's going on with the pelvic floor and working with that, if there is something that's, you know, off there is really, really important for constipation. Wow, that's really important. So if you've had a baby, I think it's always, I mean, even if you haven't, you know, you could have pelvic floor issues as well. But if you've had a baby, you know, six weeks postpartum, you should be seeing a pelvic floor therapist because that's the best way to prevent these issues. Like just find the best in your area. They may be booked up, but you can get a good evaluation. You can get some exercises and you can reverse or prevent things from getting worse um, with, with pelvic floor dysfunction. So, okay. Last question. We made it through all of them. I am so excited. Uh, this is from Jody. She says, mid-morning, I often get nausea caused by reflux. What could be causing this? It doesn't, it doesn't matter what I have eaten. It seems better on the weekends. Could this be affected by how much sleep I get? Oh, yeah. <laughs> sleep is like one of those foundational pieces that will reset and sh- change your entire microbiome. So if you are not getting enough sleep, also stress, if you're more stressed out, if you're running around, if you're doing all the things during the week and then it's the weekend and you're like, oh, I'm more relaxed. I'm sleeping better. Like those are the foundational pieces we'll never get away from <laughs> that are important. Sleep, movement, um, the you know healthy eating, like all, all of the things that we know intuitively and inherently are important. Those are the things that are super, super critical. Stress management. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for like 
answering, I think this is the most questions I've ever gotten to, which makes me so excited. I think everybody got theirs in and you know so much and dropped so many knowledge bombs. And I so appreciate you spending time with us in this community. Your website is fearlessfig.com. Everybody go follow her on Instagram. It's fearlessfig. Um, And I will link to the TED Talk in the show notes and then BiomeFX and the the, um, GI map, the stool test you mentioned. What are you doing now and where can people find anything uh, like, is there anything else that I missed or what, what you, what are you working on coming up? Yeah, I know that. I mean, that was a pretty comprehensive overview. I am just working on launching a three month program. Like I mentioned with the stool testing, the organic acid and the food sensitivity. So that's something we're starting in January. So if changing your health is on your heart and you're ready to start in the new year, that's something I wanted to set people up with. And specifically women that have had babies, postpartum moms, Mm -hmm. where just because I went through this recently where my body freaked out and I was like, what is going on? And I went to the dermatologist and they're like, I don't know, this is just (laughs) how it is now. And I'm like, no, that's not okay. But I luckily have a massive toolbox of things that I can run on myself and do and realize that this is something that's super common. So that is launching in January, like I said, three-month program where we go into all of this and get you the clarity and the tools and the personalized testing to see what is happening in your body. Is that a group program? It is, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And we have also a somatic therapy breathing coach that's going to be part of it as well because, like I said, that nervous system piece is so critical And we have to address that. So when I was thinking about like, how can I create something that is the most valuable that will really heal the gut? This is, this is amazing. This program is like everything I wish that I had when I was having my severe digestive issues. Wow. That's really cool. So yeah, Yeah. we'll, we'll, I'll link to any information about that in the show notes. Cause I feel like everybody's very intimidated to work with practitioners one-on-one because the fees are high and it's just like overwhelming. But if you're like, Hey, this is a three month program. This is a group program. Here's what we're all doing. We're going to be doing these set tests. And I mean, I love how that's systematized yet individualized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. it's fun. And we have, we have uh, live trainings and there's education. We have mm-hmm. office hours and it's, again, it's going to be people that are all going through the same experience. So it'll be a container. It'll be a space where we can talk about this kind of stuff. Like, again, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> I love talking about poop and hopefully, hopefully that's apparent. So it's, it's just a, a safer place because this can be a very overwhelming personal and challenging space to navigate yeah. on your own. Well, thank you for what you do. Thanking, yeah. Thank you for talking about poop so openly and, and let, <laughs> having people or letting people let their guards down and um, get vulnerable with you about, you know, things that yes. are hard and things that, yes. that a lot of us are going through that we feel like I know a lot of women feel like they don't they don't know where to go. They don't know who, who can, who will understand. They, they get told by doctors constantly that their issues aren't real or that they're made up or they just have to deal with it. So we appreciate you. Um, and thank you so much for being here and taking this time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun to just chat about all things, gut health and our kids and our dogs. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for more from Sarah, fearlessfig.com. Follow her on Instagram. It's at fearlessfig. You can follow me on Instagram. It's at coconuts and kettlebells. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for submitting your questions. We will talk to you next week.